You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, we're in a series as we move towards Easter. Hey, get this. We are six Sundays away from Easter. I I don't know why that just kind of shook me a little bit this week as I counted the weeks out and thought, man, we are six Sundays away. Uh, and, and it's so close. And we've been in a series as we move towards Easter that we've called Jesus our mediator. And, and the series is eight weeks long. It's got seven weeks that have this concept of the, the cries from the cross, the statements, the sayings that Jesus gave while he was on the cross that are mentioned in the Gospels. And then also next Sunday, Josh Clark is going to bring a message very specifically on Jesus, our mediator. So as we walk through this thought, this concept, these seven cries from the cross, we, and, and we move closer to Easter, we understand that Jesus is being executed. Jesus is being crucified. And the gospel accounts give us his last words. These words are statements. They're powerful statements They're cries from the cross. And something interesting that I noticed this week as I began to study and look even ahead to the next several weeks is that the first three cries from the cross, the first three that Jesus cries from the cross, which we've already looked at two, and we're going to look at the third one today, the first three have to do with others. They're cries on behalf of others. But the last four statements that Jesus cries from the cross are all about himself. What he was going through and what he came to do. Nevertheless, the the last words of Jesus are a great help to us as we face difficult times in life. And and that's that's how we're approaching this. We've talked about the fact that Jesus was facing a very difficult time in his life. He is on the cross. He's dying for the sins of the world. He's bearing the weight of our sin on that cross in this text, in these texts that we've been reading. And as he's going through this difficult time in his life, so far we've discovered, first of all, that when you've been hurt, the first cry of Jesus tells us that when you have been hurt, offer forgiveness. For the first cry from the cross was, Father, Forgive them. Forgive them, Father. The second cry from the cross, we learn something else. We learn that when you're in pain, that you are to give hope to others. This is what Jesus did. The thief was on the cross and he was dying for crimes that he had committed. He recognized that something was different about Jesus and he acknowledged the fact that Jesus had done nothing wrong. He looks at Jesus, recognizing him as the Son of God, and says, remember me. And Jesus looks at this thief on the cross and gives him hope. In his pain, he says, today, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, today we're going to look at the third cry from the cross. And today I want us to consider this topic from that third cry. Here it is. When your family, or when those who are near you are suffering, going through a tough time, take time to love. Take time to love. This third cry from the cross was was a cry of compassion. It was compassion and love for the family that Jesus had. And, and, And he cried out in particularly in this moment for his mother. And family, as we know, it is very central to everyone's life. In fact, oftentimes I have said this to others as I've counseled about priorities, that it should always be God first and family second. And today we're acknowledging that God is first. Here we are today on this first day of the week and we're putting God first as we gather on this day to worship him and to put him first and acknowledge the fact that, hey, it's all about Jesus. But we're also here today, many of us sitting with family. Not, not everyone is sitting next to someone in their family. But today, many of you have come with a spouse and you're sitting with that spouse. 
Many have come with their children and you're sitting with your children. But others of you need to know this too. There's something called a church family. And we're going to talk about how important church family is. And as we gather together today acknowledging that God is first and family is second, we also acknowledge that there are joys and there are sorrows that are associated with being in a family. Am I right? I mean, I I can assure you there are joys that I've experienced as a dad and as a pastor, but there's also sorrows that I've experienced in my family and as a pastor. I mean, just this morning, I, uh, I was just taking a moment with uh, one of our elders, Butch Fry, and he was sharing with me that, hey, my wife's not here today. She is with her mother at the bedside of her mother who is, uh, who is bedridden. She had a stroke, and he, she, she took a trip to just be with mom because mom is suffering. And, and as I talked to Butch, he didn't tell me that, you know, with, uh, in a joyful way or in a happy way. He, he was hurting for his spouse. He was hurting for his family. And, and, and I can tell you this week, uh, th- th- there's been several times this week where I have grieved with people in our church over situations within their own families. So how do we handle the difficulties of life when our families suffer? When we go through difficult times in our families, how do, we, how, how do we handle those things? Well, I've got some good news for you. Jesus' last words help us with that. The last words of Jesus give us some help in that, in that thought. So I want you to take a moment with me as we enter into the text. And by the way, what's interesting about this particular cry from the cross is the Gospel of John is the only account that, that tells us about this particular cry. John chapter 19. I want you to imagine the scene around the cross. Again, enter into the text with me. Everything we say will be coming from this text. And so here it is. Verse 23 of John 19. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and they divided them into four parts. A part for each soldier. Four soldiers, four articles of clothing. But then scripture goes on to acknowledge the fact that there was an additional article of clothing. Not part of the four, but another article called a tunic. And very specifically, the scripture says that they also took the tunic. It describes this garment as being seamless. It's woven in one piece. It's from from the top and obviously to the bottom. And so these soldiers began to talk to one another. And here's what they said. Don't don't tear that tunic. Don't don't tear that garment. Let's cast lots for it. It's too valuable to tear apart. Let's cast lots for it. Let's let's play a game. Let's gamble for this one. See who gets it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that says... And this particular scripture is found in the book of Psalms, chapter number 22. In fact, if you want to write that passage, that chapter in the margin of your Bible or notes and take some time this week, you will be very blessed, moved to see so much of the cross and the life of our Savior in Psalm chapter 22. It says, they divided my clothes among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. This is what the soldiers did. So just for a moment, before we go on in the text, picture with me this moment. These four pathetic, apathetic soldiers at the foot of the cross, having been granted by Roman law itself that they had the right to take the clothes of, the, of that one that was being executed to take his clothes that, they, that, that this person was wearing, which means that Jesus was hanging naked on the cross, cross, stripped of every last article of clothing. The humiliation of crucifixion goes back to him bearing our shame back in the Garden of Eden. He suffered that shame so that you and I would not have to. He was naked on the cross so that you and I could be clothed in his righteousness. Verse 23 says, they took the wardrobe of Jesus and they divided it into four parts. 
Those four parts would have been his sandals, his headgear, his outer garments, and his belt. Those four garments would have been divided amongst those four soldiers. But there was one more piece of clothing. One more article that we talked about. And it says it was the tunic. It was seamless. It was an undergarment. And it would have been from everything that I've studied worth more than anything else that Jesus would have owned. Very specifically, the tunic was most likely made out of wool or linen woven into one piece from top to bottom. And the soldiers did not want to divide this particular piece into four pieces because it would have destroyed its value. And so they gambled for it. Imagine that. Imagine with me what this scene must have looked like to Jesus. Jesus is looking down past his nail-pierced feet with the blood streaming from his body and down onto the ground. And he looks past his bloody feet and he sees these soldiers. As far as they're concerned, he's just another criminal. They were more focused on gambling than they were on the words of Christ. And I just think it's worth noting as we enter into this text that I'm not sure today people are really all that different from them. How often maybe are we guilty of putting more emphasis on material things than eternal things? How often do we come to the words of Jesus and oftentimes miss the message and miss the truth and miss what God's trying to teach us and tell us because we're so concerned about things that honestly don't matter. Don't gamble your life away on things that don't matter. It's at this moment that Jesus speaks to his mother. It's at this moment that Jesus utters this third cry from the cross So listen with me to his loving words, beginning in verse 25, back to the text. It says that standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother Mary, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there. He said to his mother, woman, here, here's your son. And then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Now, pause with me for just a moment and think about Mary. Can you imagine the confusion and joy at the news of her pregnancy? She she knew that she had never been with a man, and yet she is pregnant. And then there was the joy, like every mother's joy, of holding that little baby in your arms. Imagine with me as she's in this moment at the foot of the cross, pondering all of these things that have happened. The sadness that she had when Jesus left her home to go into the ministry, knowing what that would lead to. But then the joy that she would experience and that every parent experiences when their kids kind of come back home to visit, right? And Jesus would come back often to Galilee to visit, or to Nazareth rather, to visit his mother. She's hearing the mocking and the scorn, and and, and she sees him hanging there, suffering. This is her firstborn son. People are yelling and screaming and and yelling insults. And she wants to comfort her boy. But yet she she really doesn't know if if she can. His body is is bleeding and the blood is coming down from the cross. She's brokenhearted as she watches all of this taking place. And then Jesus speaks. Love begins to speak from the cross. Jesus turns all of his concern in his moment of pain and suffering to his mother. Which leads me to this thought that when your family or when those near you suffer, take time to love. What an example Jesus is to us. The emphasis this year, it's all about Jesus 
And Jesus here in the text is in pain and Jesus is in suffering. But Jesus himself teaches us that take time to love your family when you are suffering, even though you may be hurting and you may be suffering too. Jesus looks down at his mother and Jesus looks down at the best friend he's got on the earth. He ignores the crowd. And the words he says are rather simple. If I were paraphrasing just for a moment, I might say something like this. Hey, Mom, here's John, your new son. Mommy's going to take good care of you. And hey, John, my best friend, here's your new mom. Hey, John, would would you love her like I loved her? This shows us the heart of God, his compassion, his tenderness, his love, his care, his concern for your pain as well as everybody else's pain. So again, we come to this thought, what do we do when those near us, when those who we love are suffering? What do we do? I have three thoughts for you this morning and all three thoughts come from the text. Here in John chapter 19, I think we see, we can together see clearly three things that we can do. They're simple things. They're practical things. And much of what I have to say is practical things, but things that I I, I so desperately think we need to be reminded of. And that is this, number one, what do we do when we're facing the difficult time of our family suffering? Stay in contact with those who are suffering. Stay in contact with those who are suffering. Notice here in the text that the Bible records that they were where exactly they were standing. Very specifically, it says, here is where they were standing. Look with me at verse number 25. They were standing near the cross. When Fanny Crosby, an old hymn writer, saw this verse and saw those words come off the page, she wrote a famous old hymn that I used to sing as a little boy growing up in a church called Near the Cross. Near the cross. Or rather, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain Free to all, a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. Anybody know it? In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Till my ransom soul shall find rest beyond the river near the cross. They were near the cross. They were close to Jesus for different reasons. Some were near the cross because of duty. They had to be like the Roman soldiers. It would have been their duty to be there. But there were other theirs of those that were near the cross because of devotion. Like his mother and his mother's sister and Mary Magdalene. Jesus was there on the cross. The cross was on his back. He was dying on that cross. But they were bearing their cross. They had taken up their cross and were close to Jesus. This third cry from the cross teaches us to stay in contact, to stay near those that are suffering. Not to avoid them, not to push them away, but to stay close. Mary, we see twice in the Gospel of John and only twice. The first time we see Mary is in John chapter number 2. And Mary is at a wedding with her son Jesus. But the second time we see Mary in the Gospel of John is now, chapter 19. The first time at a wedding, the second time at a funeral. And even though she is there... The emphasis turns not to Mary, but it turns to Jesus who is comforting her. Which again teaches us that when those near us suffer, we should try to help them. We should stand by them. We should stay in contact with them. You know, as a pastor, I'm so blessed 
oftentimes by stories like this one. It was a family that a few months ago had joined our church, but it was after their son had attended a glow-up 501 event. He went to Hot Springs High and he was invited to this glow-up 501. He comes, he gets saved. He goes home, he tells his parents about this church and this fun time he had. And they thought, you know what, well, we'll go. And they come and they get saved. I go to their home and I, 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 I get their testimonies. And they all come that next Sunday and all four of them are baptized. And then after that, Marie, the mother of the Bryant family, fell sick. She only came to church two times until she got sick. And eventually she called the church and... Sadly, I, I did not know she was sick. They were so new to the church, and I had, not, I had not really gotten to know them yet. They had not gotten plugged into a small group yet. We were working on all of that. But she called, and she said, Pastor, I know you probably don't know this, but I, 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 and I, I'm ashamed to call and ask for help. But I said, no, no, that's what we're here for. And she said, I do the cooking in our home, and I, I just, is, and she stuttered and stammered, and finally she got it out. Do you guys ever do meals? And I said, actually, we do. And thanks for calling. And so I called Thomas Kemp, our deacon over benevolence, and his precious wife, Claudia. And I just said, hey, guys, listen, I don't, I don't even know if you know this family. They, they live, you know, about 10 minutes from the church in the Lake Hamilton area and in a subdivision right across the street from Mike and Micah Griffith and in a neighborhood that other church members live. And I said, I, I, I was wondering maybe if we could bring by a meal. And of course, Thomas and Claudia said, sure, preacher, that's why this ministry is here. And, and they brought a meal out and I found out another meal and another and then 10 meals consecutively. And in fact, I found out after talking to Claudia that they could still use just a few more. And I thought, what a beautiful time to make our church aware of a ministry where you can simply cook a meal or pick up some chicken at a fast food place and make a quick delivery to a home in Jesus' name and come alongside someone of your brothers and sisters in church who are suffering. This is what Jesus is teaching us. And as we look at the life of Mary some more, we, we back up to maybe... Originally, Jesus is born. He's eight days old. Eight days old. Scripture says he is brought to the temple to be circumcised. And there's a man by the name of Simeon there. And he's a devout man, a, a, a spiritual man, a man of prayer. And the Bible says he, that this man named Simeon takes Jesus into his arms. Eight days old. No doubt Mary was pondering these thoughts in her heart as she was standing near the cross. Simeon then blesses the child. But he says some, some very troubling words to Mary. Look at it with me. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 34, it says that Simeon blessed them. He blessed them and told his mother Mary... This little eight-day-old baby. Mom, you need to know something. This child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be opposed. And the sword will pierce your own soul. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I was thinking as I read that text that at that moment maybe it was that the soldier had pierced the side of Jesus who knows to see if he was still alive you've heard that his side was pierced and maybe at that very moment as the side of Jesus was pierced by a sword the soul of Mary was pierced by a sword these were playing back in her mind and Jesus could see the pain on her countenance and the affection that Jesus showed on the cross was an example to all of us have you ever looked on someone's face and saw their pain? I'm a pretty positive person. And so I'm one of those people that it seems that whenever I don't look like I'm happy, someone says, what's wrong with you, pastor? It happens usually once or twice a week when I'm not on my A game. Because I, I, I pretty much have something I could grieve over every day. I mean, there's, there's people I'm broken hearted over. There's... Young people, I'm prodigals, I'm praying would come home. There's 
church members that are dying. There's people with cancer. There's, there's a lot that goes on. And so sometimes I just let my guard down and it shows on my face. And then people will say so lovingly, hey, pastor, are you okay? Gives me an opportunity maybe to just be honest and say, well, you know what, I, I am, but thanks for asking. And oftentimes we can see something on the face of someone that is struggling. And I can see at this moment that Mary, like most mothers, would have been willing to die for her son. I don't think there's any mom in this building that would not choose to die for their child over their child dying. I'm convinced of that. But yet Mary shows up at the cross and that's what real love does. Real love shows up when a loved one is suffering. Just shows up. And church family, that's what I want to leave you with as we move to the second point, And that is this, show up. Show up when someone is hurting. Show up when a loved one is hurting. Show up next to the, to the bedside of someone who is in our church and you know and you love. And that's why it's so important for us to realize that we need each other. Show up. Number two, and I see this in the text. Secondly, and very simply and plainly, Support them the best you can. You say, Pastor, that seems so simple, but I think you'll understand where I'm going with this. Just support them the best you can. Seems like we never feel as if we can do enough. And oftentimes, in not feeling we can really do enough, we don't do anything. So I want you to see here in the text, chapter 19, verse 26, it says that Jesus saw his mother. And there's more to the verse than that. But just for a moment, notice he saw his mother. He he could feel her agony and pain. He sees the look on her face and he pays attention to that. We must see others' pain even when we are in pain. I, I must look for others who are hurting even when I'm hurting. The fact that I'm hurting is not an excuse to see others who may be hurting as well. Because we see here in this picture, in this account, that Jesus, no doubt, was in excruciating pain. I mean, all seven cries on the cross were cries from a man who was in excruciating pain. And he's not focused in this moment on himself. He's looking to see if someone else is in pain. And he sees someone. It's his mom. And he sees someone. It's his friend. John, I'm going to be real transparent for just a moment. I tend to be self-centered whenever I'm in pain. I know you didn't want to hear that, especially when a guy's preaching the sermon and should be practicing what he preaches, right? I'm just confessing that when I'm in pain, when I got a headache, when I've got a a cold, when when I've got financial struggles, when I've got something going on in my own family. I just tend to be self-centered. I tend to be self-absorbed. I tend to focus only on my problem. Pain is a way of doing that, doesn't it? But Jesus teaches us something here. By the way, in the flesh, that's the way all of us are. It is only by the Spirit of God within us. That's why it's all about Jesus. Any good thing in us, anything that I could say today that I have done is only because of Jesus and his power and his grace and the lessons he's teaching me in my life. But he teaches us otherwise. Don't just help someone when everything in your life is going great. Rather, help someone when everything in your life isn't going so great. Jesus' love for his mom was seen in the fact that he paid attention to his grieving mother even though he was suffering. Because love pays attention. That's what love does. Love focuses on the one it loves. Here's the key, the key to all of this. The key to paying attention, the key to getting over your grief is to refocus. Refocus. Jesus here teaches us something. He's dying on the cross. He ignores the multitudes that are mocking him. You can only imagine all of this activity is going on at the cross. The soldiers are gambling for his tunic and and, and there's mocking and there's insults and they're crying out all the scorners, all the scoffers, all the critics. 
And somehow Jesus is able to focus on his mom. He paid attention to her. I was watching that Super Bowl a week ago. And in the fourth quarter, there was a a boy from Arkansas named Greenlaw. Anybody remember this? And he ran onto the field. And when he did, he it's a crazy freak accident. He tore his ACL. And it seemed for that moment that the Super Bowl didn't matter. It just seemed like this big event that millions upon millions of people had gathered across the world to watch. I mean, I had 70 people in my house, mainly teenagers and college students watching the game. And, and we're having this time. But when that happened, it was like, oh, oh, score didn't matter. Who, who you were for didn't matter. What mattered is that there was a young man that, that was injured and all the focus went from the game to him. We have a Christian school here. And so as a pastor, I go to a lot of the ball games. It kind of helps that my son coaches and uh, is, oh, and so I go to the games and sometimes some kid will get hurt. I'll, a kid will come, fall to the ground, sprain his ankle, you know, get, have, a, have a, a cramp or something and they'll fall to the ground. And what I do is I always look for the parent. I just do. I don't know. It's just something, it's in me. I just... I look for the parent. I want to make sure the parent is there. And if they're not, then I know maybe we need to, maybe there might be a need for us to do something to contact the parent. Most of the time they're there. And it's interesting. You look at the parent of a child that is on the ground, writhing in pain for some reason in the game. And the only thing they're focused on is their loved one. That's it. I mean, they're so, in fact, even if the game continues to go on and their kid comes to the sideline, they're not watching the game anymore. They're, they're, they're all, they're, they're, their eyes are gazed towards their child because that's how you refocus. That's how you love someone. You pay attention to what they're going through. And attention is one of the greatest gifts you can give to anybody. In fact, the greatest gift you can give to your family is attention. Attention. That's the next note. Attention. Think about it. I, I, you know, honey, I thought about this as we've raised our children. I think the most memorable moments that I have of my kids responding to me is when I gave them attention. And the most sad moments I have and the moments that I, I really honestly regret the most are the times when I didn't pay attention. When work was more important, when something got me distracted, when my pain, my suffering, my issues, my problems, or my schedule took me away from paying attention to the children that God gave me. It's the greatest gift you can give to your kids is attention. It's the greatest gift you can give to your spouse is attention. When you do that, you're saying, you're valuable to me. You mean something to me. You matter to me. I honor you. And when Jesus paid attention to his mother, he didn't take away the pain. He didn't. He simply did what he could under the circumstance. He spoke words of love. He spoke words of comfort. I have found, and maybe you would agree, that sometimes when we want to help our suffering family members, we want to fix the situation, right? I want to fix this. I can do this. I know if I get involved, I can fix it. And then it comes to me. They're 500 miles away. (laughs) Or when my wife was really sick for those years, it was difficult sometimes to imagine that we could do a whole lot because we had our own problems. We were limited in what we could do. Sometimes it's my job. I, I want to help them, but I can't take a week off of work. I got to go to work tomorrow. And so what do you do? You just do what you can. You just do what you can. And I think Jesus is teaching us that in the text. We can't fix it all. We can't remove all the pain, but we can do what we can And the Lord honored his mother here. The Lord Jesus honored that fifth commandment in Exodus chapter number 20 in verse 12 that says, honor your father and your mother. One thing about these commandments is there's no statue of limitations to them. I mean, in other words, you don't honor them as long as you're home. You honor them as long as you're alive. And Jesus taught us how to honor our parents in this moment. Let me give you five quick, simple, almost, they're so simple, it's almost embarrassing. 
but I just can't think of five that are better ways to honor our parents. Number one, tell them you love them. It's amazing what those words mean to parents, kids. This week I went to visit my mother in the village. She's bedridden. She's 82. She can't walk. And so we went to visit her this week with Chloe. And uh, it's tough, man. It's, it's tough for me to see my mom in that condition, to be honest. It's just, and I know some of you are under the same duress with your parents. So I'm not, this is no statement of martyrdom. This is me feeling your pain. It's hard. And so she's confined to a wheelchair, and it's very, very difficult. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I could do. She's got a wonderful caretaking husband, and he's, a, he's an angel of God. We know that. We've been gifted with him. And we took him some food. We had eaten at an Italian restaurant that night. Did you get that? Capacci Italiano. So we ate some pasta, and we said, hey, can you give us two orders of manicotti to take to our parents? And so we took two orders of manicotti to, to mom and my stepdad, and we gave them the food. And I just simply, all I could really say is, mom, I love you. I love you, mom. I know I don't see you as much as I probably need to, and as much as I want to, things have been crazy. And of course, you know, I've got Miss Yoshida who's living with us now, and Glorianne's kind of a load, and then the church is really experiencing some exciting things right now. But mom, I just want you to know I love you. And, and I just want to say this this morning I think it was enough. I think in that moment, that's all she needed to know. My boy loves me. Number two, we can make a phone call. You say a phone call, what, 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 how, how do you love your, how do you honor your parents with a phone call? Well, I can tell you a story about my dad. I was raised in a split parent home. My mom was primarily the one who raised us, but we lived with dad every other weekend and he paid child support and never missed a payment. So I was blessed, although the circumstances were not the best. So I go off to college and when I went off to Bible college, my dad He had this really serious conversation with me that I didn't understand at the moment. But he said, hey, look, son, I know know you're going off to college. You're going to get busy. You're going to have a lot going on. I got a favor to ask you. And I said, what's that, Dad? And Dad said, would you consider giving me a 10-minute phone call once a week? Sure, Dad, yeah, 10 minutes. Yeah, that's all I need. I go, that's it? Yeah, that's it. Not all it, just 10 minutes a week. Just one phone call, 10 minutes a week. Just a quick catch-up, how you're doing. I just want to stay in contact. Sure. Yeah, no problem, Dad. That was it. Get to college, first year, 100%. 52 out of 52. Didn't did miss a week. And I, swore I was home a couple weeks anyway, so probably not even 52. And the second year, sophomore year, no problem. Junior year, no problem. Senior year, I, met, I meet this little Japanese princess right here. Problem. <laughs> all of a sudden, she's getting all my attention. I mean, I'm just spitting. A few months in, the phone calls stop. Well, it's midnight on my dorm floor. I lived on the third floor of a dormitory on this campus. And at midnight, the phone rings. Crazy. You don't have cell phones back then. There's, there's only pay phones at the end of the hallway. That's it. And there's this little black phone that had, didn't even have numbers on it. It just rang. And that was the phone that people could call the dorm floor. And so at midnight, it runs. I hear this guy scream down the hall. I was in 319, so about four rooms down the hallway. Hey, Capese, it's for you. Like, what in the world? So I come down, and I pick up the phone, and I'm like, hello? Hey, son, this is, this is Dad from New Orleans. Uh, just, just checking on you. You okay? You alive? Yeah, I'm good, Dad. All right, good. All right, I'll see you, son. Wait, 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 Dad, Dad, wait. They have to hang up. No, no, I, I didn't call for any other reasons. I just called to see if you were alive. That's all. No problem. Everything's good. Uh, I'll, I'll see you later. Dad, come on. Why you got to be like this, Dad? Come on, lighten up a little bit. What is wrong? Nothing's wrong, son. I'm just calling to see if you're alive. I said, come on, Dad. I mean, it's been busy. I met this girl, and things are kind of getting crazy. And, and then Dad said something to me that changed my life. I've said this to my kids a thousand times. I've used this in counseling sessions when dads are making excuses for not paying attention to their kids. I've said this to kids when kids don't see the value of their parents. My dad said to me, son, listen to me. You always take time for people you love. I was 22 years old. 
I remember weeping at 12.05 at the end of a hallway on a boy's dorm floor with my dad. Dad, I'm sorry. I never missed another week. (laughs) I went 10 minutes a week till I graduated with my master's degree from Bible school and got married to this little girl here. You always take time for the people you love. A 10-minute phone call. It's all dad needed. Number three, send an email or text. You say, I just wish this was theological. Well, I'm sorry, it's technological at least, amen? (laughs) Write a letter. Just write a letter, a handwritten letter. I, I cannot tell you how the difference between a handwritten letter and a type letter... I handwrite all my birthday cards and all my anniversary cards, always handwritten to you, my church family. I know you can't read them. I'm sorry. (laughs) But I do write them. And then make a visit. That visit I made to my mom yesterday, I think, I just can't express to you how much it must have meant to her. And I want to say a quick word before I move on to my third point and conclude the message. I realize that many of us here today have not had very good parents. I say many, some. I don't know how many. Some have not had very good parents, and I understand that. So my suggestion is this. You can still honor them. You say, how? You can honor them by forgiving them. You can honor them by not saying anything bad about them. Someone has said, silence can be a form of honor for those who deserve nothing else. Silence can be a form of honor for those who deserve nothing else. Number three, stay in contact with those who are suffering. Support them the best you can. And finally, and in conclusion, in the text, seek ways to help those who suffer. Look for ways you can help those who suffer. Notice in the text again that Jesus made provision for his mother By asking a friend to help. It says here, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved, he said to his mother, woman, here's your son. He says to the disciple, here is your mother. But focus with me on that last line in the text. And from that hour, from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. How beautiful is that? We need to ask others to help at times. And it's humbling and it's hard. To ask someone else, hey, I need your help. But that's what Jesus did. John, I need your help. I need you to help me. My my mom's going to need someone to care for her. It's been life-changing for the Capaci family over the last several weeks as we've had a little heavier load. And I want everyone here to know we could not have done it without our church family. I listed a few names, and then I texted my wife, and I'm so glad I did, honey, because you did so much better than I did. I said, hey, who's helped us with your mom since she's fallen and broken her shoulder and then busted her face? And she was in church this morning at the 9 o'clock service. I still used to this illustration. And she said, Diana Carpenter, Jackie Clark, Micah Griffith, Deb Kuykendall, Susanna Capacey, Hannah Moore, Lisa Perryman, Tamara Gray, Suzanne Thomas, Lori Haggard, Esther and Raz Pittman, Chloe and Josh. She goes, and I'm sure there's someone else. I looked at that list and I thought, it's my church family. They, they, we've been hurting. We've suffered a little bit here. And, and, and we should be helping others, and yet they're helping us and And again, of course, we're helping others while they're helping. I mean, it's just an amazing thing how this happens in in community. This happens when we recognize the fact that we are family. We are together. Can 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 I remind you of something? If you are a woman and you are sitting in this building... And you are a child of God. You, you know you're saved. You, you're a follower of Jesus. And you're sitting in the building. You're a girl. Would you raise your hand as a testimony to the fact that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And you're a lady. Would you raise your hand? Wow. All right. You can put your hands down. I'm your brother. <laughs> hey, sister. All right. If you're a man. If you're a man in this building and you'd say, Pastor, don't leave me out. I'm born again too. I'm saved. I'm a follower of Jesus. Not ashamed of it by the uplifted hand. Men in the balcony on the main floor. I'm a, I'm a child of God. Thank you, men. I'm your brother. And I'm your older brother, so do it. I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm your brother. You know what you just found out? We got a room full of brothers and sisters. Sometimes spiritual bonds are not 
as long-lasting as physical bonds. I mean, sometimes families, or rather physical bonds aren't as lasting as spiritual bonds because sometimes families don't last. Sometimes families die. I've asked people in churches, do you have any living family? No, all my family's dead. They have nobody except for their spiritual family. Without a church, without somebody next to them in this building, maybe there would be nobody they could call for help. Are you with me? We are in this together. John had now been given the responsibility to take Jesus' place. And you and I have been called to relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think there's some lessons we can learn here. First of all, I want to give a lesson to the younger adults. If you are a younger adult at Gospel Light, you are called by God. Called by God. It is your responsibility to care for the older adults in this church family. It, it, it honestly saddens me when I see this great divide of, well, I go to a church, it's all old. And I go to a church and it's all young. How sad. It, to me, a church should be a melting pot of all ages, ethnicities, backgrounds. Can I get an Amen. That's what you're looking at here. And it's not going to change as long as I'm here. I don't think we should just say, well, you know, if you're old, you, you kind of go over here. And, 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 and if you're young, you kind of go over here. We just do our own thing. And we'll try to help everybody when you come to church. And it always seems to lean more to the next generation. And it should. We understand. We're, 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 we're training up. We're, we're mentoring. We're, we're leaving something behind. And, and I'm all for that. But I, I guarantee you one thing, as long as I'm pastor, I pray that we'll never forget that we have a responsibility to come alongside the older people in our church. I'm going to tell you one of the biggest blessings I had was watching Josh Clowers walk Marion Harold, 102 years old, walking her out to her car like this today. Oh, 16-year-old Josh. I'm like, Josh, way to go, buddy. You're giving me a sermon illustration right now. He goes, what? I go, you give me a sermon illustration. He goes, okay, whatever. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I don't want to possess that kid to walk a 102-year-old lady out to her car, but I love that. And I think, young people, we need to do more to, 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 to gravitate to the older people in our church and say, is there anything I can do to help you? But I want to say something if you're an older adult. If you're an older adult in our church family, you're called by God to mentor the younger adults in our church family. Thank God for the Shine Women's Ministry. And thank God for the men's ministry that is going to start soon to where we're intentionally trying to invest in the young women and men of our church. Because older folks, that's what you're supposed to do. You're called by God to do it. You were never meant to handle your pain alone. Never. Learn to accept love from others. It's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to ask. It's hard to accept, but learn to accept it. That's why you need to get in a small group. If you're in the building, in the balcony, and you're not in a lighthouse group, could I ask you to look on the website and look, or maybe come see me or one of our elders, and let's, can we help you to get into a smaller community of people where you can be ministered to more specifically to the needs that you have? Sometimes the church just gets too big and there's too many people and two services and three campuses and trying to keep up with everything is so difficult. But in a small group, so much better. Join a spiritual family called the church. Maybe you've been grieving the loss of a loved one this morning. Maybe this morning you've lost your job. You're hurting. It's, it's tough to lose a job. Maybe today you've been hurting physically. You've got a bad back, a bum leg, a bad heart, a bad news from the doctor this week. And you're hurting physically. Maybe you've got a fear or a panic or an anxiety or you're dealing with depression. I want to say three things to you. Number one, Jesus cares about your pain. He cares. He loves you. He sees you. He knows where you're at. And don't handle it alone. Cry out to Jesus. But also, join a spiritual family. Know this, that you can find somebody to help in the church. We're here. We need each other. We need each other. That family, the Bryant family, Thomas, Claudia, thank you for heading that up. You guys are the best. Keep it up. 
And whoever's on their team, let's enlarge that team. Because I can tell you the needs are only going to get greater. People are hurting in our community. And sometimes all they need is a meal. Just a meal. Secondly, refocus when you're in pain and focus on somebody else. Ask yourself the question, when you're in pain, I wonder who else I can help right now. Maybe there's somebody else. I can tell you, it does a whole lot to relieve your pain when you help somebody else in pain. It's amazing. And I have found that sometimes when I take the example of Jesus and I'm in my own suffering, when I reach out to somebody else and refocus my suffering to someone else, it just seems that in that moment I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing a Christ-likeness that just encourages me and helps me and helps others. And then finally, the most important thing of all is this. If you are in pain and, and it's, it's attached to not even knowing who Jesus is and you've never been saved and, and you've never truly trusted Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you today to draw near to the cross. Draw near to Jesus Consider this morning crying out to Christ for salvation because the answer to every one of your needs is at the foot of the cross. We've got four more cries and we'll continue to see the answer is always near the cross. Every head bowed and every eye closed in the building. As we continue to worship and sing and acknowledge our need of Jesus our dependence on Jesus if you're here today and you need someone to pray with you I want you to know we're going to be here Butch is here, I'm here and I love our church family how that when we see somebody on the altar we just seem to always find a way to get to them don't we maybe you're in this building and God will call you this morning to come alongside someone in prayer Maybe a husband and a wife need to pray together. Maybe a parent and a child. Maybe someone who's hurting just needs to come forward and say, would you pray for me? Tim Gillespie came forward this morning and said, preacher, would you pray with me? This is the 12-year anniversary of the death of my dad. He was weeping uncontrollably. Tim and I fell to our knees and we just cried out to God for help. I didn't know it was his dad's 12-year anniversary of having a massive heart attack and Tim being the first one to find him. I didn't know that. I wonder who else is hurting in this building. And, and if we only knew, if we only knew you were hurting, we could help. We'd point you to Jesus. But we'd also do what Jesus taught us today at the foot of the cross. We'd come near and we'd stay in contact because that's what Jesus taught us to do. Father, I love you, and I thank you so much for this opportunity. I pray that you bless, Lord, this moment, this response moment, this song, this conclusion. Father, I pray that it would not be the end of a truth, but the beginning of a reality in our lives. That when someone in our family is hurting, we need to take time to love. Help us to learn that today at the foot of the cross. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand, y'all.